Welcome to the PEBC podcast. My name is Michelle Jones, and I am the host of our series on phenomenal teaching. This series is a collection of conversations with authors, classroom teachers, education leaders, and staff developers whose work connects with the PEBC teaching framework. In each episode, we explore how the strands of planning, community, workshop, thinking strategies, discourse, and assessment cultivate student agency, equity, and understanding across the curriculum and grade levels. We are proud to announce that Chalkbeat is our first sponsor. Chalkbeat is a nonprofit news organization committed to covering one of America's most important stories, the effort to improve schools for all students. Stay up to date on all of the current events in education at www.chalkbeat.org. Thank you so much for listening in. Today, I have the great pleasure of chatting with Antonio Sacre, the greatest storyteller you've never heard of. Antonio's tales of growing up bilingually in a Cuban and Irish American household have inspired children worldwide to gather their own family stories and become storytellers themselves. Many of his stories have been published in award-winning books and audio recordings. You might know My Name is Cool, A Mango in the Hand, or The Barking Mouse. In addition to writing and telling stories, Antonio facilitates professional development in the area of teaching writing to educators from pre-K to graduate school. Antonio, welcome to the PEBC Phenomenal Teaching Podcast. How are you? I'm well. It's such an honor to be on this podcast with you. It was so great to meet you just a couple of weeks ago. I had the opportunity to moderate a session that you were uh, speaking to teachers about, you know, just the craft of storytelling and the importance of students and, and teachers to telling their own stories. So it is just an honor to have you today and to be able to have this conversation. I would love to jump in and just talk about storytelling. What is a storyteller and what does a professional storyteller do? It's so interesting. So my my father, I talked to my father. I'm very lucky to be able to talk to him most days. And he, uh, he uh, you know, a couple times a week, he'll say, I can't believe you are making a living as a storyteller because you are like the 10th best storyteller in our family. And so in a real, in some ways, if you think about that, I think most people would say they're not even the best storyteller in their family. Now, there are for sure some people who are that storyteller in their family. So it's it's weird because there is sort of the traditional storyteller, there's the professional storyteller, and then there's the thing that everybody does all the time. We tell stories all the time. When you're late coming home from shopping, you tell the story to your partner about what was going on. Your kids tell the story of what happened on the soccer field. So humans are hardwired for story. There's a lot of graduate level theses and books written about the thing that happens when a human hears a story, and we've been doing it for tens of thousands of years. It is how education was presented, is how history was was grabbed, it's how stories and the oral tradition and these epic poems were passed along. So in some ways, I'm tapping into an ancient tradition, but I'm also tapping into a very modern personal tradition. The kinds of stories that I tell are personal, mostly personal stories of growing up in my specific families and now as a father of two children. I have an 11-year-old son and an eight-year-old daughter and then being married and all, all the stories around that. And so in some ways, a storyteller takes sort of the what is happening and brings it out into a way that the audience can see themselves in it, even if I come from a very, very different place. This is the power of storytelling. 
One of my friends says the shortest different di- the shortest distance between two people is a story. So most of your listeners are not going to have a Cuban father and an Irish American mother. Some of them will, but not not most of them. But when I start to tell stories about my family, they're going to recognize, oh, that's like my grandmother. She's not from Cuba, but she and she didn't cook picadillo, but she cooked. And my we don't tell a joke that way; we tell it this way. So this is the the thing that I am lucky to be able to do, and. Along the way, I've been doing it now for 30 years, along the way, teachers have said, those stories help our kids write. Those stories get our kids excited about being in class. When we share stories together, we're creating a community that the kids want to be there. They're more interested in my own personal stories sometimes than the lesson that I'm teaching, I'm hearing. Or I was able to teach that lesson because they got quiet after I shared a story. And then there's the last thing I'll say about stories is, you know, of course, there are hundreds of phenomenal collections of stories from all around the world. There are the uh, oldest stories you can think of in uh, the religious traditions and all the all the major religious traditions. And some of those stories are incredible to share. And some of the kids don't know these stories. And so it's, it's amazing to share those stories. There's stories from collections of stories from the Brothers Grimm and the um, Thousand and One Nights. And so the, this is part of my work is to read old stories and try to share them with kids, think about my own stories and and bring them into the world. So it turns out there's a small number of us that can actually make a living getting it done. Uh, it's interesting because many people call themselves storytellers. Authors say, I'm a good storyteller. A filmmaker will say, I really, I'm a storyteller. Even a journalist will say, I'm a storyteller. And so in some ways it's all story. And um, that's, uh, yeah, that's the, just really, it, as you can see, I, there's so much to say about it, but, I, um, but, but yeah, that's, that's what I would say. Well, it's so interesting because it just had me thinking about like the power of narrative and connecting people, connecting people to the past, connecting learners to the world outside of their own world. And so this idea of story is is connectivity in some ways. Yes. As a matter of fact, I was just talking to a friend about this this morning. Um, there is something that happens in the brain called um, neural coupling. So basically mm-hmm. there there is the the brain when you're here when you're speaking a story the person is is hearing it but they're actually also feeling what the character is understanding. So if the character is very happy that person is starting to feel happy if the character is sad they're starting to feel sad and this sort of this connects the listener and the storyteller in a way that very few other connection points can can be. Um, and it there's also studies that show that this kind of connection activates literacy centers in the brain and helps kids read and write better. You know, there's lots of different things that people will say, you know, if you want your kids to be good readers, have plenty of books around. If you want them to be writers, have journals and pens and papers around for them to write. And I would say, if you want them to be better readers and writers, tell them stories, um, both in your own home and in your, in your classroom, for sure. So really, not only are we creating that personal connectivity, but we're also creating neural pathways for readers, writers, speakers, and listeners and communicators. Yes. Yes. And it, it's, it's, it's funny because I'm aware of, um, I'm also aware of how busy teachers are and how much they're supposed to do. And this is <laughs> not, yeah. Right. And this is not yeah. like, Oh, if I were an opera singer, I might say opera is amazing. And if you can sing opera, you will make kids be better mathematicians. Well, it's impossible for us to learn opera singing in, in, you know, but storytelling, 
there is nobody out there listening that doesn't tell stories. You may like opera, but you don't sing opera. You may love dance, but you can't get on point. You may love soccer, but you're not going to kick a 30-yard field uh, field goal. <laughs> that kind of soccer. You know what I'm talking about. Exactly. Football. Um, and uh, so... But storytelling is something you can already do. Even, you know, the, some of the teachers I talk about as you're moving from, you know, when you're, if you're in brick and mortar, going back to brick and mortar, moving from the rug to math time, let's just tell a 30 second story about my crazy uncle Patrick as he was doing, you know, and these kinds of things make the kids excited to make that transition and also um, give them a, a memory. I forget who said it, but they won't remember what you said. They'll remember how you made them feel. So what happens if you just introduce little snippets of story from your family throughout your Zoom sessions or your classroom sessions? How does that make the kids feel? What does that help? You know, there's there's something there that's really powerful. Wow. I mean, you are just, you know, my brain is going in 20 million directions because I'm thinking about some of my best teachers have been incredible storytellers. I think about one of my mentors, Lori Conrad, and she always tells these short, engaging stories that really do kind of prime my brain for learning and get me ready. So when I'm thinking about you as a storyteller, and you've been telling stories professionally for 30 years, probably a lot longer than that, based on what your dad has said. Uh, but so let's talk a little bit about the craft of telling stories. Where do your stories come from? And how would you know, someone who's thinking, okay, I do want to have a little bit more narrative. I do want to create this personal connection with kiddos. Where do, where do we generate stories? How do we get started or how do you get started? It's very interesting. I, one quick question for you. You said that, that one of your mentors was an incredible storyteller. Let me ask you, did, was, were they really an incredible storyteller? Did they have incredible stories where, you know what I mean? Do you have a sense of why, why you put that adjective to that? that I think it's something that you mentioned er earlier that a great story has this quality of being universal. Yeah. Like your grandma didn't cook this, but you can relate to my grandma's story. I yeah. think there's that piece in, in her storytelling that you could make a personal connection to the story, even if it wasn't your own story. Yeah. And there's a little dash of humor and wit in her words. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. So it's a good question. So for me, how do I think about my stories Part of it, there's a couple of things. One of it, part of it is trying to understand myself. So I'm a father, I have two kids, I'm a husband, and life is hard. Sometimes life is harder than other times. All of us are in a really hard time right now in the middle of a global pandemic. So um, how do I navigate this? How do I deal with the ups and downs? What are, I try to sort of think about that because if I'm going through it, a lot of people are going through it. I love to think that I'm super special and I'm not. As my dad would say, I'm not even the best storyteller in my own family. But what is, I think one very specific thing is the spec is the specificity. It's the it's the specificity of what you're going through. You know, I'm sure if you're if you're a parent or a teacher, you know, what did you do this summer? Went to the beach. You know what I mean? Like there's that's not specific. So can you can you can you zero down? One of the images I use for myself in my writing is a funnel, right? You pour in a bunch of words into the top of the funnel, and you keep going down and down and down the funnel until that perfect word comes out, or that perfect sentence, or that perfect image, or that perfect specificity that really really tells that story. So, um, you know, many of my stories just come from. Well, I'll, I'll to be frank. All of the old people in my my family who are the better storytellers than than I am, most of them are gone now. 
So part of it is just, I just selfishly want my kids to know these people that they will never meet. And so that's one very personal place. As a matter of fact, one of the very first stories I ever told was about a year after my grandmother had died. And I was just like, I miss this lady and I want you you all to meet her. And this is all pre-cell phone. It wasn't like, here's a video of my grandmother. So, mm-hmm. and I, you know, and so there's just a small moment, you know, a small moment, right? This is from the writer's workshop, a small moment sitting on the couch with my grandmother. So she lived in Miami, Florida. She came from Cuba and a lot of Cubans were in Miami, Florida. And so like just we would sit on this couch and she had this exquisite, expensive, beautiful white leather couch that was covered in a half inch thick, clear plastic that when you sat out on that plastic in Miami, your back stuck to it and you just get sweaty and it was so uncomfortable. And you could, you could put your hand underneath that plastic and feel that smooth leather. You're like, abuela, ¿Por qué tú tienes este plástico en el sofá? Why did you put this plastic on the sofa? And she says, because you have the sweaty teenage bodies. I don't want any of that on my couch, you know? So this, there's, you know, to, to sort of comment on the story, meta, like there's such a specificity of that. None of you had, maybe none of you had a grandmother that had a white leather couch, but they had a whatever it was. And mm-hmm. you, you get a bit of the personality of my grandmother and me, and it's Miami. So I'm zeroing in. And then that allows you to also think of your own, right? And so that the last little bit of that story is, uh, I don't even know how it happened, but I said, Abuela, ¿cuántos años tiene? How old are you? And she said, ay, mijito. And she's super old at the time. Nunca pregunta una mujer cubana cuántos años tiene. Never ask an old Cuban lady how old she is. And so the joke became how old you are. And I I just, you know, there was nothing to do. We didn't have the internet. There was only three channels on TV back then. That's how old I am. And so I just kept asking her and she kept answering, I'm 15 years old. Abuela, tú no tienes 15 años. I'm 22 years old. You're not 22 years old. How can you be 22? I'm 15. You can't be my grandmother. And she's laughing and we're laughing. And I said, tell me, verdad, abuela, cuántos años tienes? And she told me her real age and she promised me, made me promise I would never tell anybody what it was. <laughs> she told me her real age. And I said, abuela, that's so old. She said, si, mijito, I could die at any minute. Oh, abuela, that's not funny. She said, I have to say this in Spanish. She said, yo tengo una pata en la tierra en otro cascarón de plátano. She said, I have a foot in my grave and another on a banana peel. And I could slip and die any minute. And now I'm like, abuela, that's not funny. Don't say that. And then she said, no, mijito, it's part of the circle of life. And then she closed her eyes and her head flopped over. Now I could see her breathing, but I said, abuela, I know you're still breathing. I can see you breathing but her face didn't move. Abuela, that's not funny. Still breathing, but face not moving. Abuela. And some tiny part of my 15-year-old mind thought, did you just die? Te moriste? And without moving her lips or her face, she said, see, sí, yes, I just died. Abuela, how can you speak if you just died? It's a miracle. So this little thing, you get to see some of the relationship of my grandmother. Part of her memory comes alive. One of my favorite things that kids say when they hear me, I've five, 10 stories about my grandmother. Oh, when your grandmother says this, her memory is still alive when these kids hear about my grandmother. And then this for me very, very, you know, specifically becomes right about, maybe you don't have a grandmother. Maybe you don't see her. Maybe, maybe she's in another country. Maybe she's already passed. Maybe you're not in touch with her, but who is that old person that makes you laugh, that makes you feel safe, that makes you think, that teaches you little things? Old people, my grandmother taught me, we're old. We're going to die at some point. 
She didn't specifically say, we're going to die. You need to pay attention. She made a joke about it. And so much so that it became things that I love to share with my friends. And then later on, I shared it with other people as well. So I, I, I'm, that's, that, that's one of the examples of what I do. And you know, one of the things I love to ask teachers is, how many of you know a bunch of family members? How many of you have family members that your students will never meet? My dad, who I love and still alive and healthy, he doesn't travel. You'll never get to meet my dad. You have to learn about him from me. I have five uncles and aunts on my mother's side eight uncles and aunts on my dad's side, all the cousins. If I were a teacher, there's no end to the stories I could tell. And it's not even stories. It's just snippets of, let me present to you a little bit of my Tio Tito from Cuba. Let me show you my uncle Mike from Boston. Let me show you my cousin Julie, soccer star in, in, uh, in college. She's still running fast. Let me just, let me just, let me just. And this is creating the connection. And very specifically, hopefully it's making the kids realize, wait, I've got an interesting uncle. Oh, my cousin is doesn't play soccer, but she's an amazing whatever chef. I have, you know, so this is just part of it is trying to get kids thinking that they also have no end to the stories they can tell and that they can write about. And then lastly, you know, then then we now go out into the world. Okay, so I know a lot about Cuba. What do I not know a lot about? A lot about Mexico. Let me go study Mexico and see what's common, what's different. What else I can learn about that? And that's what led me into my study of folk tales from different cultures, just to get a sense of, of where, where they're, what are the stories they're hearing as they're growing up. So that's really, really helpful because I think that, you know, we think about this idea of telling stories, are we just being autobiographical or filling up time with talking about ourselves, but really being intentional around some of the stories that we will share with our students or in our classrooms or just with others in general? So for you, the idea of storytelling is taking something that's kind of common, but then bringing it down through a funnel. And then we were thinking about kind of the types of stories someone might tell or that we might tell to others really you know diving into our own personal experiences thinking about the people we know and what makes them not only unique but also universal in some ways thinking about what's happening now what are those experiences what's our lived experience and then what are stories from the past that can be interesting and can be applied to a situation that's great i that's you know it's funny you make it sound like i know what i'm talking about <laughs> it's kind of exciting <laughs> I should bring you along with me. Oh, is that what I'm doing? Um, one of the things I want to add to to that is, uh, you know, I, I just gave you a little snippet of my grandmother, but really one of the things that's very powerful about storytelling is when we see either, you know, personal people we know or folktale characters or, you know, mythological characters or stories, how do they overcome the obstacles that they are facing? So, one of the, the stories I grew up with was my, you know, my immigrant family from Cuba overcoming what it was like coming here with no money, with no language, with, you know, there was all of them lived in one house together. So seeing my funny grandmother tell me these, what seemed to be really hard stories, but she told it in a, with a sense of humor and I saw them overcoming it. You know, whenever I talk to my dad about, you know, a book that's getting rejected or a, a bad performance that I had, he's like, well, mijo, it's not as bad as it was when we, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's this, this, this family history that gives me strength. Like, oh, okay, this is bad, but it's not as bad as what my family has already overcome and survived. And so the, the, the little small moment 
that a kid has when they're writing, when he or she is coming up with something, I then ask, okay, when you were at the beach this summer, what did you want that you couldn't have? I wanted an ice cream, but we didn't have the money. I wanted uh, waves, but there was no waves. I wanted it to be calm. There's too many waves. Because that's the, that's the key to why we're listening. Because now I want to see, oh, wait, how did this girl have fun even though there were no waves at the beach? How did this boy have fun even though there were too many waves at the beach? Oh, wow, great. Maybe later on I can overcome something that I'm facing as well. So we get to see these characters. You know, there's a whole bunch of stories about... Um, you know, giants and men and women overcoming giants and how do they overcome giants? And, you know, giants don't exist and giants are everywhere, right? So I, 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 that's, the, that's the last piece of the story. I, I, I think the snippets of story and snippets of family are important in creating a community. But when we delve into longer bits of story or we start to tell more stories, I think seeing how these people we love and that we're laughing about, how they overcome some of these things and how it changes them. And then we live, we live vicariously through that. And then I think it's also very powerful to share with students and, you know, even my wife and my own kids, the things that I've overcome and how it's changed me. And uh, as both a model and hopefully an inspiration and, and really just life is hard and we're going to get through it. Which brings us to today. And, you know, it would just that this 2021 school year is unlike any first day of school that any school leaders, teachers, students, or parents have ever experienced before. And I'm just wondering, do you have a story for us that is very relevant to the time? You know, you'd mentioned that it's okay to tell short stories um, in our classrooms and, and just to, to really help us think about kind of some of those giants that we're all facing right now. And I know this is kind of spontaneous, but do you have a little story for us? I sure I sure do. It's always um let's see. Um when I when I in some ways it's such a big question sometimes it's also interesting to say that. Um the stories that I always sort of gravitate to again are just some of the ones that that were instrumental to me um as as a kid and one of my storytelling teachers she said that the importance of humor is that you get your audiences laughing so that you can reach in and touch their hearts. Um, you know, it's hard to hear, it's hard to hear lessons, but it's a little bit easier if we're already laughing and at the end of the story that there's that. Um, and so I guess one of the, the stories I'd love to share with you, it's, it's funny, as a kid, I spoke Spanish. My father spoke to me in Spanish. My mother spoke to me in English. I was bilingual and I didn't even know that it was different or unique until I got to kindergarten. And when my dad dropped me off, he said, adios, Antonio, te veo más tarde. Adios, papa. And one of the kids came up to me and said, what are you speaking? And I didn't know that that was, I said, I was just speaking to my dad. Well, you weren't, you didn't sound normal. So normal being English, but normal in my house was both. That's how my dad and I speak. And then nobody being able to pronounce my name correctly. Um, you know, and, and so I, I started to do what so many children of, of immigrants do. I changed my name to Tony. I wanted a name that kids could pronounce. Uh, and then there was, I remember the first day of school, here's another thing that's typical to my Cuban family is we all have all these nicknames. My grandmother calls me Papito. My uncle called me Futingo. My other cousin called me Coquito. So the teacher is reading the roll call and she's trying to come up with my name. She says, Antonio Bernardo Sacri. Who's that? 
And I, I looked around the room because I had all these different names. And finally, I said, well, I'm not sure that's my name because my uncle calls me Coquito and my, my grandmother calls me Papito. And my and kids started giggling and laughing. And it was a long time ago. Um, they sent me to the principal's office. I created a ruckus in the kindergarten classroom. And when the principal wanted to hear the story of all my names, he started laughing. He said, ah, your name is cool. And that's your new nickname. And I got back to my kindergarten classroom and the teacher said, did the principal straighten things out? I said, yeah. He said, my name is Antonio, Bernardo, Papito, Coquito, Futingo, Sacri. And he said, my name is cool. And my teacher said, well, Mr. Cool, welcome to school. So what I what I love about that story is just all the different nicknames. I love the idea that many students have nicknames. I love the idea that you know, we can start a school year, even virtually, just talking about our names. You know, even the fact that I'm now really uh, Henry Anita's Henry and Nina's daddy. That's what I'm known at at their school. I'm nobody else but that person. I am Andrea's husband. I'm the storyteller guy. I am, you know, so I have these roles that people have given me. And I feel like, you know, just just sharing small things like that, you know, I think it just kind of normalizes a really not normal time. You know, uh, kids love, I'm thinking about students, they love hearing stories about your pets and your your own children and the things you're doing. I know that when we spoke a little bit yesterday, your your kids play baseball. I love baseball. Cubans love baseball. And so now this is this is a connection that we have, even if I didn't hear more about that. And I'm kind of interested. I I, I can I can imagine all the baseball stories you could tell in your classroom. And I can, and also as a teacher, depending on the grade level you're teaching, um, what lessons could you pull out of when your son struck out or when your son hit the game winning double or when your son got hit with a baseball or when that coach was mean? All of these things are just directly from your experience can become stories and lessons that can feed whatever you're, you're teaching. And of course, not every teacher is going to have kids who play baseball, but whatever it is that you're interested in, bring it into the classroom, bring it into the Zoom or the the, the Google Meet lesson that you have and just see what happens. I think um, there's it's back to what we talked about at the beginning. That connection that's happening in the brain is creating a community even through the screen. And there's studies that say it helps them read and write later on. And this is all levels. This is not just, this is the thing that, the hardest thing about my job is that people think, oh, it's just for five and six-year-olds at the library. You know, you're just reading to kids. And it's not, it's, it's all the way up, all the way through high school into college. Wow. So I would love to make a little bit of a segue or a little bit of a transition, if you will, into talking about the art of teaching writers. Mm. You know, I think that we think about, you know, teaching writing versus teaching yep. writers. Yeah. And I know that a lot of your work, um, I know you think about yourself as someone who facilitates professional learning for teachers to nurture the writers in their classroom and that you do work from a preschool kind of age group all the way through graduate school. At the PBC, we have our PBC teaching framework, and I know a lot of the strands really align very closely with the work that you believe in and advocate for, things like you know creating a community for all learners, planning for understanding and agency, developing workshops where students have ownership and independence, using the thinking strategies to access content, engaging in discourse that's meaningful, and of course, assessing what students know and maybe, you know, what they don't know yet. Yeah. 
So when you think about yourself as, as a professional educator who facilitates professional learning for teachers, thinking about this school year and launching workshops, mm. what are some considerations that you would love for teachers to think about? I've, I used to be hired to come to schools and do assemblies and tell stories, and I love that. And then teachers in schools were like, we don't have the time for the assemblies anymore. Um, can you come and help the teachers be the storyteller? And at first it was really shocking because I was like, I don't want to lose this wonderful job of making this kid laugh and sitting at the, in the cafetorium and they're laughing. It's great. But I realized the practicality of that too. The, the thing that I want every teacher I work with and every student I work with to know is that they have it already in themselves to be storytellers and writers. You know, when you look at your, your again, just thinking off the top of my head, your, your kids as baseball players, mm -hmm. they've studied, worked really, really hard. You can't throw me in front of one of those pitchers and try to try to hit something because I, I don't have that. Maybe I could work hard to it. Maybe I'm not a baseball player yet. This speaks to growth mindset. But, but the reality is, is, as a storyteller and as a writer, you can get thrown in that situation because you have already this, the, the experience to write about it. So many kids, when I talk, you know, whatever, talk about a vacation, some kids are like, I've never gone anywhere. And there's always that one kid who's been on a helicopter trip to the middle of the Grand Canyon where they saw dolphins magically jumping down the river. You know what I mean? And then like the kid's trip to the beach is like, well, I just went to the beach with my family, you know? And so the reality is, is that story with the trip to the beach with the family can be as moving or more so than this spectacular once in a lifetime trip that a kid is going to take. So this is this is the thing that I try really hard to let to let people know. There's a craft behind it. There is the fact that I can fill a funnel with a thousand words. It's because I spent countless hours reading and I spend time with the dictionary. So I'm not saying I'm not super skilled and crafted and 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 expert at what I'm doing, but you you can still start at a place where you have that that story to tell. Now we do need to continually read and learn new words so that we can give ourselves the tools to make them happen. But the story is already there. When I work with the youngest kids, they can speak long before they can write any words. They can tell you a story. Sometimes you can't get them to be quiet. They just keep going on and on and on. So now, you know, can a four-year-old or five-year-old write a story? No. Can they tell a story? Yes. Even adults, you know, um, you know, we. So many of us feel more comfortable speaking than actually writing. Tell me about what happened versus write down what happened. That's really intimidating to some people. So I love the power of that, the oral tradition that, that can just unlock these things. Also, just personally, I like to share my own process. My first drafts are oral. I'm just speaking my first drafts. Then I plan and then I write and then I speak it out loud again and I plan and I write. And so I, I love to just share that process with, with the students and the last thing that I share is, you know, I, I do model the life of a writer. I always have, I always have a journal going, you know, as, as a kids are rolling into an, a, an assembly, I'm usually writing. And sometimes I'm just writing kids are rolling into assembly or kids are, or sometimes it's poetry or snippets of things. So these are, uh, you know, I, as much as, I, again, I'm very aware of everything teachers are being asked to do. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm also aware that this is not a tool they don't already have in their toolbox. I want them to realize this really simple tool is really powerful. Um, my wife is a high school English teacher and many of her colleagues are creating phenomenally beautiful online 
Zoom platforms with the latest technology. And that's great. And if that's where you're at, then I think that really helps students. And what happens if you just look at the camera and tell the kids a story? Um, I feel like this is this is really, they're really looking for some sort of connection. And I feel like we already have it, we already do it, and we just forget. It's kind of like the, the simplest tool in your toolbox, the one that everybody uses, is in many ways the most powerful tool that you can use. Um, and then lastly, I would say like even across disciplines, obviously many teachers are going to see how this fits directly into readers and writers workshop and to, you know, it, creating a community. What happens if the science teacher tells a story of why he's a science teacher? What happens if the math teacher talks about her favorite, <laughs> the beauty of the, some equation? This is what I felt like when I finally figured out that equation and we get a little glimpse of who that person is, maybe that makes some kid more excited about their math or science in a way that it, it, they haven't thought about it differently. Thank you so much. I mean, as I was listening, I was just thinking about, you know, the idea that we all have stories in us and there's extraordinary in the ordinary, that each and every writer has their own process that's unique, but similar. And that one of the most powerful tools we have is being models for students, models as thinkers and as writers and as storytellers. So really this idea about keeping it simple during a very complex time yeah, seems to be resonating for me as one of the kind of themes of our talk today. Yeah, I, I'm just, I'm seeing it from all sides. My children in school, my wife teaching, the the Zoom Zoom just canceling out and people getting kicked offline. As, as When we were starting our interview this morning, my son was kicked off of a Zoom and I had to run up and do that. And so, you know, in some ways you're right. How do we, how do we just get back to the basic connection? You know, we're, I think about that, you know, what was the, the first, you know, iPhone was a fire. We sat around the fire, you know, and, and we just stared at the fire and we talked, you know, and now I think some of the fire is being replaced by these phenomenal programs and games and shows and songs, all these things. Um, and I, I feel like we forget the power of what it is to just shut those off and just just talk and share stories with each other. Hmm. So as we wrap up today, I'd love to give you the last word. In closing, what are your hopes for the 2021 school year? I hope that the stories that haven't been told or haven't been understood are finally understood. I think that there are so many different stories that are going on and so many different points of view, which is very important to have different points of view, but it's also important to really get to some understanding. Many of your teachers are going to be too too young to know this reference. There was a, an old TV show called Star Trek, and there was a character that could put his hand on you and instantly understand all of your story and all of your history. I think it was called the Vulcan Touch or whatever it was. And in some ways, we have that ability through the internet and through our libraries and the books that we can magically know somebody else's story, but it's impossible to know, to read all of those books, to hear all those stories. So how do we, how do we really understand, let's just say, what our own children are going through in our house, what our own children are going through in the classroom, and how can we help them make sense of that? And one way is to help them tell and write or draw that story. And then give them the gift of having that story heard. 
Maybe that's in a pair share. Maybe that's in a their spotlight on a, on one of their virtual classes. It's really powerful to have someone hear your story and for you to feel like they understood it. So as teachers, we're trying to give them the tools where they can tell their stories. And if those tools are sharp enough, then they will get that story across. And then also back, just back to, we have to be, we have to be better listeners. We have to really understand what people are going through to help get, get to some sort of answer or at least some sort of, some sort of healing, some sort of peace. Antonio, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us today. We hope our time together provided inspiration and information. I would like to thank our sponsor, Chalkbeat. In addition to reporting on current events in education, Chalkbeat has a jobs board. So if you're looking for your next career opportunity, check it out. You'll find teaching, leadership, tech, and nonprofit education jobs. Or if you're looking to recruit for open positions, consider posting on the Chalkbeat Jobs Board. You'll be connecting with people who are up to date on the latest education news and trends. Postings start at just $149 per month. In closing, PEBC is headquartered in Denver, Colorado and works both locally and nationally to cultivate agency, equity, and understanding as described in Phenomenal Teaching by Wendy Ward-Hoffer. We now provide customized virtual and on-site professional development, coaching, institutes, and courses. We also prepare new teachers via the PEBC Teacher Residency Program. Check us out at pebc.org.